0: You're listening to ReachMD on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Inspired to Act, featuring international leaders in the field of medicine. Inspired to Act is presented by PrimeMed, your leader in continuing medical education. Here is your host, founding chair, Department of Neurology, Brigham and Women's Hospital, professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School, and senior medical advisor for PrimeMed, Dr. Martin A. Samuels.
1: What kinds of change can we realistically expect in the national health care delivery system, given the existing institutions and agendas, the economy and the new administration? Joining us to discuss the economic impact of the recession on the practice of medicine, the outlook for reform and other questions is internist and cardiologist and CEO for Partners Community Healthcare Incorporated, the integrated delivery system founded by Brigham and Women's Hospital and Massachusetts General Hospital, is Dr. Thomas H. Lee. Tom, thanks very much for coming into the studio to visit with us today.
2: My pleasure, Marty.
1: A lot of people, of course, know you by your writings and the annals of internal medicine and lots of other places, but I wanted to make sure everybody understands that you're a real doc. You're still seeing patients, aren't you, even this week, right?
2: I very much am. And as I indicated earlier, you know, I've done my share of rectal exams and pap smears (laughs) and everything else in the last 24 hours. Good for you. I
1: know I see you there, you know, walking through the hallways. So it's nice to know that you're still very much attached to your practice of medicine.
2: Very much so. I even did a home visit to help a family and a patient who was dying deal with that process myself over the last week, and uh, that still is one of the best parts of my professional life is the clinical stuff.
1: Yeah, before I get into the substance of what we want to talk about, I wonder if you could share with people what made you decide to spend so much time in what many people would call administration, working on the system, and sort of giving up a significant part of your practice? I mean, you are a talented cardiologist and physician. What made you do it?
2: Well, it's 20 years ago now, but I was writing lots of editorials about we should do this, we should do that, and Dick Nesson, who was president of the Brigham at the time, stopped me in the hallway and said, "You're always writing things telling people what they should do. How would you like to see what it's like to actually try to get them to do it?" And he basically challenged me to spend part of my time working in quality improvement in the hospital, and I thought I'd try that. And it was very interesting. It was very challenging. It's difficult to get people to work together, even when it's for the right thing. But I plunged in.
1: That's good. It's nice for for us to know that some of the people up there are people who really know what it's like to take care of patients. And I know you're one of those folks. Let me ask you something about the current economic situation. I mean, everybody knows we're in a deep recession. We don't even know if we're at the bottom of this recession. Healthcare hasn't felt the real brunt of it yet, but I wonder if you could predict what we're facing in the next couple of years and how you think the new administration might try to deal with this.
2: Well, it's going to be an amazing time. And there were already a lot of pressures building on healthcare that would have led to change over a decade or so. But I think because of this downturn, I think the time frame has been greatly compressed and there could be major changes in the way physicians get paid over the next three, four, five years. It's coming faster. It's probably not coming different. We are in healthcare in a little bit of a bubble compared to other industries. But it's a bubble that's only going to last so long because with all these layoffs, some people are going to lose their insurance immediately. Some of them will get insurance through COBRA where you can buy your insurance for another year. But frankly, insurance has gotten so expensive, a lot of these people aren't going to be able to buy COBRA, even if they're eligible. So we're going to all see more patients who don't have insurance or who are underinsured, who, when we send them for an MRI, say, gee, that's going to cost me $800 out of my pocket, And they don't show up for it.
1: I don't want to ask you to give any any secrets because I imagine the Obama administration probably calls you up and asks your advice. But what can you tell us would be your advice, theoretically, if you were asked uh, how they
2: should manage this? I don't consider myself a genius on this stuff, but I do listen to folks. And I have a sense of what I think should happen and could happen. And I actually think Stuart Altman, the economist at Brandeis, he's been saying something that sounded crazy at first, but I think it's the right thing. And what he's saying is, We have to get everyone covered and then we should worry about costs. And so I think that as people lose their insurance because they've lost their jobs, the political pressure to act, to cobble together some way of getting everyone covered so they can meet their basic health care needs is going to become – irresistible. And so whether it'll be in one fell swoop or bits and pieces like the expansion of Medicaid for children, the expansion of Medicare for people who have lost their jobs, who want to pay premiums, we can expect the government to act to fill the gap in getting people covered. But the second part of what Stewart says is, and then we should turn to cost. Because dealing with costs is so challenging that the idea of dealing with cost and coverage at the same time it's just too daunting. People get overwhelmed by the complexity and then nothing will ever happen. But you've
1: written about the fact that as the payment systems change that there's sort of a natural evolution or a forced evolution from a pay for service kind of private little practice to ultimately to the other end of the spectrum to a clinic like practice and you said that the first step is what you call paper performance light and then paper performance regular and so on. I had a guest uh, on Faith Fitzgerald who you, I'm sure you know from California a very outspoken internist and I asked her about paper performance. She said, "What are we? Taxi drivers? What are we? Waiters? Do we take tips?" She was very offended by the idea and I promised her and I promised myself that I would ask you what you think about how do you react to that kind of comment?
2: Well, that reminds me of our mutual friend Don Borwick has said, uh, "Pay for performance is like fish for seals in a circus. And my response was, as a cardiologist, Don, fish is good for you. (laughs) Um, No, I I think that, you know, we're going to go through an evolutionary process, which is going to be sped up by the economic pressures of our times. And I think it seems highly likely we're moving from a system where we get paid for transactions, for performing visits, uh, performing tests, performing operations, to a world in which we are paid for something different. I think at the end of the day, we'll feel better. It'll be something more like paying for taking care of patients, but less like X dollars for doing visits. We won't go there all at once because not everyone's ready to take total responsibility for what happens to patients. Groups that are very organized and where the patients have to go see them, like the VA or Kaiser, they're ahead of the game in some sense. But for the rest of us out there, I think it's going to be a rapid evolutionary process where we have to get more organized and we take new kinds of payments that, frankly, I think pay for performance is just the introduction to the game. I think case rates where the hospital and doctors get paid a lump sum for the care of, you know, total knee replacements, bypass surgery patients, and the lump sum includes the care before and after the hospitalization, that kind of thing is going to get tested a lot and, I think, pushed quickly.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that worries people out there, and, of course, the people listening to us are lots of doctors and other healthcare care professionals listening to us right now. They worry about the sort of deprofessionalizing quality of it. That there are going to be guidelines. These guidelines are going to come down from somewhere, somewhere on high. Maybe evidence based, maybe not. But in any case, they're going to be told how many heparin A one Cs they need to get every year on their diabetics. And if they don't do it, they're not going to get their bonus, as Faith Fitzgerald called it. I mean, how do you look at that? Are we going to just have
2: robots who are we just going to follow? Guidelines or what? I think those physicians criticizing that kind of incentive, they have a good point. And as soon as you start paying people like a modest amount of money for doing teeny tiny things, those teeny tiny things are demeaned and They're not important. The truth is what's important and what is different is working in teams. In the era that I came along and you came along, we were priding ourselves on individual excellence. That's what it was all about, really high standards for ourselves, staying as late as we had to take care of our patients, and we held ourselves to very high standards. I think it's going to be something that goes beyond that now, or more accurately, part of being excellent as an individual will also include working well with others, like being a good team member, because no one can take care of patients all by themselves anymore. So the kinds of things that I think will be part of defining excellence as an individual will be being a good team member by doing things like using electronic medical records so that your colleagues can see what you're doing, and prescribing by computer, and working with care coordinators to help keep complex patients out of the hospital. That kind of dimension will become part of professionalism, I think.
1: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Inspired to Act on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Martin Samuels, and joining me to discuss the outlook for reform on the healthcare delivery system and other topics is internist and cardiologist and CEO for Partners Community Healthcare, Dr. Thomas H. Lee. It's very reassuring to hear you describe it in this way, because I think a lot of people, I have to say myself included, find it worrisome that our bond with the patient, this one-on-one bond where the patient believes that that doctor is going to do everything possible for him or her, might be in conflict with the doctor's concern about the community at large or the clinic that he works in in terms of maybe saving money doing fewer tests you don't see a conflict there it doesn't sound like
2: well you know to be honest there's tension i do think physicians should be completely focused on the patient in front of them but i think when they step out of that room they also have a role as trustees for the overall healthcare system and we do have to recognize there just isn't enough money to do everything we'd like to do and my optimistic scenario is that physicians will do everything they can for the person in front of them, but they will use systems that will help guide them to the most efficient strategies that they'll be willing to look at data on how they compare with their colleagues in terms of how much radiology tests they use, you know, how often they admit patients to the hospital for various conditions. Part of it is groupness, understanding you're part of a group and Caring how you compare with other people in your group. This cultural stuff is actually one of the more engrossing things for me intellectually. And I think a real challenge for our leaders is to go from a culture where it's the doctor is a really excellent individual to building groups that people know they're part of a group and care about it. And they're still excellent as individuals, but part of their excellence is being a good group member.
1: Do you think this will actually work, though? If you think about sort of the evolution of healthcare, it's evolved over hundreds, thousands of years, really, where the doctor-patient relationship was considered the center of everything. And what you're talking about is in a very, very short period of time compared to all these years to try to change this culture into something in which people have more of a responsibility for the group as a whole. Do you think that'll stick? Do you think it's against the natural law?
2: Well, you know, I think there are a couple of major forces at work that will probably make this change happen. One is demographic. You know, the folks coming out of medical school today, they tend to want jobs that that are jobs. You know, they don't necessarily want an unending, you know, blank check commitment where they have no idea when they'll get home at night. They tend to be married to other physicians and they're raising children and they contain their professional commitment. And I think whether some people might say that's bad, but it's real life. And, you know, they want to be employed. They want to work in groups. Another thing going on is that patients have demands 24 by 7. They want to email their questions in and get responses. They want all sorts of things that no individual can meet. And when physicians are bombarded by this, frankly, they want to be part of some kind of team that will help them meet their patients' needs.
1: I want to thank my guest, internist and cardiologist and CEO for Partners Community Healthcare Incorporated, the integrated delivery system founded by Brigham and Women's Hospital and Massachusetts General Hospital, Dr. Thomas H. Lee. Thanks so much, Tom, for coming into the studio and spending a little time on Inspired to Act.
2: My pleasure, Marty.
1: You have
0: been listening to Inspired to Act. On ReachMD, on XM160, the channel for medical professionals, featuring international leaders in the field of medicine, hosted by Dr. Martin A. Samuels, and presented by PrimeMed, the leader in continuing medical education. At we believe in you, the practicing healthcare professional, and we support your commitment to your patients. Our goal is to give you the tools to stay up to date with the latest developments in your field, whether you treat day-to-day patients and their average and not-so-average illnesses, or patients dealing with diverse chronic conditions, Primed CME programs are designed for you. We know you each learn differently, that's why we offer education in a variety of formats. Live because you like to interact with peers and faculty. Online because it's convenient and available to fit your schedule. And in print because of its portability. Regardless of the medium, PrimeMed delivers knowledge that touches patients. PrimeMed CME is developed through extensive collaboration with leading professional associations, academic institutions, hospitals, technology companies, and over 1,500 prominent faculty. With over 120 live meetings and 300-plus online CME activities, 350,000 healthcare professionals globally trust Primed as their source to stay better informed and educated in today's always-on world. We invite you to join us in person at an innovative, cutting-edge meeting and clinical education program. If it's more convenient, visit Primed online. For more information, visit www.pri-med.com. That's www.primed.com. Thank you for learning with Primed.